Hey, it's Chris Urban. Welcome to the Triple Clicks Video Game Marketing Podcast. With the NFL season kicking off and the launch of Madden NFL 20, I was excited to have the creative director of the Madden franchise, Michael Young, join us. We had a fun conversation about his early career at Electronic Arts when he was the art director for the NBA Street series and the visionary behind NBA Street Home Court, how the Madden Long Shot mode came together, and how he got a two-time Oscar winner involved. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Michael Young, creative director of the Madden franchise. Is that the best way to call it? Yep. Okay, yep, good. Yep. It's good to have you. Thanks for coming all the way out here. I know you've been doing big celebrity stuff while you were out here in L.A., but uh, you slummed out to the uh, Calabasas area. Yeah, that was great. Appreciate you coming. Good ride. Out. Beautiful ride. We worked together for a long time when I was in the Madden franchise, and so you are the king now of the Madden features. And so with the launch of Madden 20, I wanted to get you on and, and talk to you. I'd love to dive deep kind of into making games and, and building out games. So it's going to be fun. Let's do it. You, uh, Your first credit from what I looked up was you're like – you're a little bit like Quentin Tarantino. Your first kind of uh, jump into it was a Grand Slam home run. NBA Street Home Court, an iconic classic. You are directed that thing, and that thing is beautiful. You had Instagram uh, filters before Instagram filters exists on that beautiful game. We did, actually. <laughs> you yeah. did filters all over that thing. There's though. way too many filters, in hindsight. Uh, and I remember the, everybody talking about the backboard and the... Uh, the way the backgrounds and everything was going off the backboard and just how beautiful it was. What was it like working on the game? Uh, that game, I was actually part of all four NBA streets. And the team was amazing because it was so small. And now the game team's like, I'm on like Madden or 200 plus people. But that was a 60 person team. But for, it was like built in 18 months. And the first six months was five to ten people in like a little think tank all doing different jobs and it was such a creative experience for a basketball game and we had ambitions for it to be the best looking game the most fun and we took a lot of pride in making people love basketball who didn't like the sport because Mm -hmm. the game was so fun Mm -hmm. and uh, it was at a time when people still played friends on the same couch and it was the best game for that. And like side by side, you know, clowning your friends with the replay button, like doing the double dunk and then yep. making them watch it over and over <laughs> and over again. So we had a lot of fun. But home court was a huge opportunity for me. Um, a bunch of my mentors had left to go make other games in different genres. And suddenly I was the art director. And we just had this mission to uh, make the most beautiful game because it was right when the next console had come out. Yeah, it was right at that apex of PS3 and 360, and people could really start. I just remember 2007 yep. being kind of an iconic year of like franchises really hitting their strides, if you will. Yeah, and so we were a launch title. We had we just wanted to show off what, what it could be done. We actually went... The coolest part for me was the research, because we had time about six months where we really studied street ball and did a lot of prototyping and um one thing we built for six months we built what would have been my park Mm. in home court like it was an online open world where you could walk up to other people and start games so if we had the venice beach court 
all three courts were active, mm-hmm. and you could walk up to somebody and jump into a one-on-one game or grab a teammate from the sideline. And we'd worked on just that prototype for six months, uh, and it was really fun. And then we didn't have the funding to do it. But yeah. it's kind of fun to think about what that would have looked like in 2007. And then things like My Park and World of Chell now are that kind of vision yeah. of this cool social pickup pick up and play area. Um, so that would have been fun to pull off. But what was so cool is we, we went around all these courts, and that's what inspired it. We came out here to Venice for two weeks. We played. We took notes. We did hour-long interviews with people who played there every day. We learned the culture of each court. Um, And we were pretty innovative at the time in that we were using Google Maps to um, take photos of every single building that you could possibly see from our gameplay cameras Mm -hmm. and map it back to the Google Earth uh, maps. And so we were building out really authentic... Um, environments that just look gorgeous but before that most games would cheat a lot it'd almost be they'd build just the court and a couple things around it and then they'd make this fake city that is a hundred yards away like a concept painting would surround your yeah your courts and your stadiums so we love doing that because we were just building a world because are the first ones to really do that because a lot of you were always in a gym or there's always some kind of like you said some kind of fake the camera angles didn't cover it or we we saw it in the street a little bit where it just wasn't it didn't really bring the city to life but i just remember playing home court for the first time and i felt like i was in venice like i was i was on that on that court like you could feel you could feel the energy of the different energy in the different plays and you yeah. know i still play it because i can play this i think that's one of the last games i can play as a sonic so Wow. Um, Chris Wilcox and uh, Ray uh, Ray Lewis and and those guys were there. So yep. flashback for me. But um, did you working with the NBA and the talent? What was that like going through that? Um, for me, I think that was that year was the first year I really worked with any celebrity talent, and I got to work with Carmelo Anthony and Chris Paul. I remember Chris Paul was really interesting because um, we were wanting to put their first court in the game so you know it was called NBA Street Home Court but we wanted to have home courts of some of the biggest stars in the NBA and with Chris Paul he had a court that he had dedicated to his grandpa who taught taught him the game and back in his hometown so we're going to you know Asheville Asheville to go to this small town and find this little court with a couple people on it and uh, when we met his mom and brother uh, during the game launch, they were just super moved that this court was now elevated to a <laughs> you know EA Sports level video game because it meant so much to them. So yeah. those things always stick with you. But the first time I think you work with anybody that big, you're sort of awestruck. But I think over time you just it just becomes normal part of your job. And but I remember first time with Carmelo Anthony, it was like wow. Well, first of all, he's giant. Like, Tall, I'm six foot four, and he, I'm looking up, looking way up at him. <laughs> but um, it's different because you're a celebrity to him. Like I, what I learned in my many years in there is, is like you're making the, you're the guy that's you're going to put his image on the screen. So you may not have realized at the time, but you were just as cool to him. Which is which is a, that's a thing that t- it takes a minute to really understand that. Oh shit, these guys are really kind of they dig us as much as we dig them, kind of thing. 
Yeah, I just had that uh, experience with Snoop. You know, I grew up, so in the 90s, I went to college, and his first album, big album, came out, and this is an icon, a legend, somebody I just admire their talents, and then you meet him and find out how much um, Mad means to him, and he played the story mode, and he tells me character names, and just blew my mind. It yeah. literally blew my mind. He's he's all legitimately all in. We did man, we should do a whole podcast just on stories that like you and I and bringing sprinkles and some other people that we've been working for Snoop with Snoop for years and he's like super authentic on like he loves fucking video games. Yeah. Like just there. I mean sports obviously, but he's a hundred percent in. That's funny. You uh so you did that, you launched that huge, massive success. Uh everybody in Orlando was jealous of what you guys were were building up in Vancouver, and then you actually came down and moved down to Orlando to work in our franchise. What was the first Madden you worked on? I came in at the very end of Madden 08. Okay. And uh just helped with some presentation stuff. Um they were pretty cool, wanted to allow me to ease in. We moved down, my wife was eight months pregnant. So when I got there, they didn't want to, you know, throw me right in the deep end. But yeah. I got to kind of meet the team, help out on, um, I think it was the weapons feature that year. Superstar. Try to make it look cool during the pregame David intros. Or, and, David Ortiz era. Yep. If I'm not mistaken. And, uh, no, it was great because I had met some of the guys came up to look at NBA Street, what we were doing. Yeah, and you blew everybody's minds. Like, seriously. Like, everybody in Orlando was like, did you see what the fuck they did on the... Because ba-? basketball never really did anything. Like, it wasn't like... Live wasn't like... And I'm, I don't work there anymore, so I could talk shit. But, like, yeah. live wasn't a thing, right? Um, but then when Street came out, I think Brent Coyle and I were both like, you fucking play this game? Um, and it's, it was, like, unbelievable. So I'm sure the team went up there to pick your brand and be like, hey, how'd you... Well, first off, I don't have 11 on 11, so I got, yeah. I got, some, I got some room in the memory. But, um, but you blew... I mean, I think that stuff really, just from a design and look and feel and energy of it, kind of opened those guys' eyes a lot. Yeah, it was great. And they, I wasn't thinking about it, but they said, would you ever come work on Madden? And... Madden was one of my top five games, like the ones you mentioned earlier before we started talking, like Madden 04, Madden 05, like the Michael Vick, Ray Lewis covers. Yeah. I was addicted to those games, like playing the career modes and moving my team to different cities and hiring and firing my coach. I could re, I'm not going to, but I could retell you stories that feel so real to me from playing those games and sure. so that it was too tempting to pass. Yeah, to get a to work on something you cared about, it'd I, be like being offered a Star Wars movie. It's like, sure. Yeah, where no. would I sign up? I, I had the exact same experience. I was at Wizards of the Coast in Seattle. In 2003, 2004, and Tom Getty called me and said, hey, they're hiring for the Madden gig. You should come down and take the marketing spot for this. And I was like, okay, where is it? He's in Florida. Shit, my wife wasn't pregnant, but it's still Florida, which is a hard conversation. Uh, so I, I had like you just jump at, at that opportunity. I I started on five, the end of five. I didn't have that much to do with it, but I was just kind of I was under Jordan Elstein and just kind of following the lead. I, I know the features had just started, so I think five was the hit stick with Ray. Um, before yeah. that, that was really the first marketing 
fe- the first feature that was really marketed. I think before that it was Michael Vick, and that was the feature. Was Michael right. Vick? He was just fucking flat out broken, and like yeah. so people would dominate with that. And then we were like, all right, we need a defensive solution to, to Michael. So you have the the hit stick with 05. 06 uh, was the first one where I got to take over, and your uh, the beloved dev team gave me the vision cone to uh, to market for the first time. So I appreciate Jason Barnes and uh, Matt Frederick for that for that. That was one. tough. That was a tough one. The vision cone was amazing. Uh, truck stick with Sean Alexander. You can see I can finally make the decision on my own if we to put it on the cover. So I'd put a Seahawk on the cover, of course. Uh, superstar with Vince, and then you, you know, I'll go through them all to get to the big stuff. But hit stick 2.0 with Favre on 09, fight for every yard in 10. Yeah. Uh, Palomalu and Fitz on the cover. Correct. Uh, I did, we did the first. I did the first vote for the cover with Drew Brees in 11, uh, which is a big kind of thing. Uh, game flow and online team play. I think feature wise. Yeah, uh, yes. Yep. Some did, Jorge had to dig deep to find out what the real back of the box shit was for that one. Uh, so we started the cover vote in eleven. Somehow we let the other people in marketing run in it. They ran it into the ground with Peyton Hillis on the cover. We really shouldn't let everybody just make any random decision. So Peyton Hillis uh, single was that the first single player mode in the game? Superstar was the uh, feature for that. I think that was where you could actually be one of the characters. If I'm not mistaken, mm. I f- feel like we had a big franchise year that year. Okay. No, that was the next year. Yeah. yeah so 12, I, 12 was, I think, a lot about presentation. Okay. It says super on the back of the box. It sold me on Superstar, was the mm. presentation. Uh, Infinity Engine and Physics, next year with Calvin. Yeah. A lot of that features. Barry Sanders in the 25th anniversary was uh, Force Impact Owner Mode. Comes back, which people got fired up about. Uh, Richard Sherman, uh, which I had nothing to do with, but happy to see a Seahawk back on the cover. Uh, risk versus Reward. Uh, draft Champions with OBJ. Uh, terrible Decisions with two back-to-back uh, Patriot covers with Gronk. Uh, with ball carrier UI, we had to dig deep for a feature on that one. I think the feature was Gronk is on the cover that year. I'm not sure what the hell was going on in Tim Ron and in uh, for Madden 17. 17, okay. Is it tr- I was basically on a hiatus that year. Yeah, I was, feels like it. I was starting to do uh, the story mode. Yeah, and you and you, it's funny. You and I had talked about story mode for a long time before I left, um, and that's really where we we come. Uh, into story mode is, is Madden 18 with long shot Tom Brady on the cover. Tell me a little about what was your vision for long shot? I mean, this is, this turns into a huge franchise mode, a huge impact on the franchise, obviously award nominated for the writer's guild for you for that. So congrats on that. Thank uh, you. Congrats on that. Uh, what was the vision for, uh, for long shot? Uh, the big vision was I always wanted to do a movie, like a sports movie in the game, an interactive one. And I wanted it to be movie quality. And some of the inspiration was Friday Night Lights. I just I thought a lot of people like me and our fans were watching shows like that and wanted the drama around the action on the field. And had some inspiration from what Telltale was doing with interactive storytelling and the feeling of agency of your story. And uh, in Madden 15, 16, 17, I'd had sort of a budget for 10-minute intros 
where, you know, one year you were Cam Newton against the Seahawks and you were supposed to, you know, try to lead them on this comeback and win a playoff game. And we had cutscenes in the huddle and people always loved them. And they're like, we need more of this. We want this. Why can't this be a whole mode? And But that immersion and... You know, I think we, a lot of us grew up with sports movies, loving them as much as our sports video games and trying to co- combine. I wanted to have a, a game come down to this dramatic football play and everything on the line and hearing the speeches in the huddle and having you the movie ending it in your fingertips. And um, I started to get steam probably in Madden 16 as far as getting some support to go develop something like that. How um, how did you once you got the green light on it? I mean, you brought in Mershaw Lee, Scott Porter. Like you have some serious talent. I mean, the bringing in the athletes and talents is easy. Like in your world, but bringing in like a guy that wins two Oscars after he's done your thing. Like, how did you how did you go chase talent and and what was that? Uh, Scott was interesting because I'd met him through gaming. You know, at E threes, um, a lot of mutual friends. I know he's a friend of yours. Yep. Um. And I just loved Friday Night Lights. And my wife had been watching Heart of Dixie. And he was in a scene where he was singing. And I'd always had this vision for the cult character that was sort of the the heart and the life of this whole story. Because I knew my story was a little bit of a downer. You know, this guy trying to come back from quitting the game and building his way back up to take a chance again. Um and so I reached out to Scott before the script was even written. So, it was, so his character was developed with him specifically in mind, and he loved the pitch. And I think he had to wait like three years and would call me once a year and be like, <laughs> is this happening? And was, yeah. was that total BS or are we doing this? And uh, we shot some test scenes. Um, and so that, that for him was really cool, um, building a character around a specific talent. Uh, Mahershala was a really cool story. Um, we had consulted with Ross and Thurber, who wrote Dodgeball, wrote and directed uh, Central Intelligence, um, tons of stuff. Sure. Awesome IMDb. Huge football fan, huge Madden fan. Um, we reached out to see if he'd consult on the long shot script. And uh, he read it, gave notes, to, like fourth or fifth draft, and super kind. And really loved the project. And it's like, love the script. How can I help? And we were struggling to find the right actor for uh, Devin Wade's father. And so him and I brainstormed dream candidates. Mahershala's name came up. And he said, we share an agency. Let me take him out to lunch and see if I can pitch him on doing your show. And he did it. That's good. So it's, you know, having people... Mahershala said he did it basically because him and his cousin grew up playing Madden. It was meaningful to him at some point in his life, and he thought it sounded interesting, and he's starting to see some people do stuff in games, and he was great, though. We got to work with him about a day and a half, um, but he elevated long shot. Yeah. Big time. For sure. Was that pre-Oscar, or had he had we won one yet? He'd filmed Moonlight, Okay, and there was good buzz but it hadn't come out yet okay and so he comes back the next year he's not in the second he's not in the second one okay so he just did the first one i was gonna say two-time oscar winner like he's kind of done like the video game he's like he's moved on we for a minute had a part for him in the second one but it just really didn't make sense and his schedule was insane yeah 
So what was it? So going through, you you wrote the entire script. This is all your vision. You took this thing all the way through. I, I wrote it with my best friend who okay. we brought in. Um, What's his name? Uh, Adrian Todd Zaniga. Shout out. Yeah, shout out. Um, and so, what was that like? I mean, that thing was that thing was a huge. That was just a monster of a feature. It hadn't been done before in the game. Doing something that's never been done before in Madden is always a challenge. Uh, people loved it. Um, what, was it what was it like in the journey when that thing when that thing finally launched? Uh, the journey was really interesting because it hadn't been done or it hadn't been done that way, and so. I think in general people get nervous. Like, how is this going to be received? It's a, sort of a bromance story. There wasn't a single game in the NFL. It sounded a little scary. Yeah. Um, I would say right before it came out, there was a lot of worry that it would be not received well at all. And then when the reviews... Was that, wor- is that worry from worry from you, worry from executives? From- was it just the exec reviews? Yeah, like you fucking know, marketing you, people. Yeah, yeah. no, you you, you always kind of bring in like do audience testing, which did that actually did really well, and we did that out here like a film, mm-hmm. and that went really well. Um, one of our characters didn't test well at the very beginning, and we did some edits, and um, but yeah, because it was so different than what Journey and FIFA had just done. Mm-hmm. They expected us that we are just making the American football version of Journey. Which, by the way, you had this idea before the FIFA. I know because I was there. You had this idea long before FIFA. They just got the green light before you. It's that ultimate team money. You just kind of gave them the opportunity to build that shit out faster. They got it done. They they got Frostbite first, and Frostbite was critical to pulling this off. Just, you know, our game wasn't necessarily built for cinematics and non-football field, 11-on-11 football and so frostbite engine that was developed for you know battlefield and battlefront opened a lot of doors for us and fifa got that first so, so that's how they sniped it for me yep that's all right yours was better uh you come back with uh homecoming the second year uh tell tell people about the story yeah so uh, the behind-the-scenes story? Or yeah, the, well, I mean, how does the it... The story story. Yeah. Um, so in the first one, you know, Devin... Uh, it's about Devin Wade and mm-hmm. Colt Cruz, uh, two buddies. Um, they went to the University of Texas, and Devin's father dies in a car crash, and he quits. Uh, three years later, after going to the military, his best friend talks him into trying out for the NFL. The whole first season is about them... Going through that journey of coming back and yeah, getting they, back and stuff. They get on a reality show that doesn't seem like that great of an idea, but it's kind of like the voice meets football, and they partner him with um, a former coach and Dan Marino, and ultimately you, you, how you played in that game, which was really cool, what team you would end up on, did Devin get drafted, did Colt get drafted. So there was about four different endings, and, you know, what was really cool about that is most decisions were do something for my best friend in the story or do something for myself to get drafted. So it was often pulling at your heartstrings of friendship. And most people couldn't get the ending where both guys got to the NFL. One percent. Yeah. Wow. So that was really cool. Yeah. So it's um, not always because you think, I think I know how this is going to work out if I just do this. People expect 
they want me to do this, so you do what what you expect. You're gonna get your end result. So obviously, yeah. you would mix that up a little bit. So the sequel um, kind of picks up their story. Um, we find out that Colt got cut. He didn't make it out of rookie training camp, and now he's trying to make it as a musician because he had wrote a song in the first one. And Devin Wade is um, kind of bouncing around the NFL trying to st- stick. You know, if you come in as a low round draft pick or an undrafted free agent, you're trying to get the third or fourth quarterback spot. And so the whole season was about him coming to terms with that. And, you know, we had some weird GM played by Rob Schneider, <laughs> uh, which is a blast. Um, but he's dealing with politics of the team and his place and how to be a great teammate while still fighting for the job. And um, and then Colt was back in uh, Mathis that we saw in the first one, mm-hmm. uh, trying to help the team stay alive after the hurricane and um, save the school from going under. Awesome stories. You can EA access. You can still access the older games. Uh, yeah. Now we're going to get you to play Madden 20. So talk about face of the franchise. What did you, uh, what did you build into this one? Yeah. So you'd mentioned like, People love long shot. Some people love long shot. Uh, critics the first year for sure. Um, but what we did start to hear was, yeah, this is a good story, but I want it to be about me. And so this was our pivot to the, the agency that you got in long shot one, um, you know, where choices matter and all the scenes have dramatic choices and you're playing football games. But it's a story of your character. So you could create a character take them through college like pick we had college teams back we had 10 college teams in it's there a big deal no washington you know, no university of washington i called you right away when i saw this <laughs> list. you told me it was u-dub's fault so all right i was like all right as long as they were considered yeah. they were considered all right um, i will call them up and make sure that they're approving that moving forward that would be great um so we just um yeah people loved it, it actually it's doing great uh we did have a long shot character make an appearance in this one coach jack ford who was really popular in the first one um but yeah we're trying to build a i guess a madden cinematic universe where we've built these stories and these characters and um but i think that the you know pivot to creating your own character choosing their hairstyle choosing their voice letting them choose the type of player they're going to become that type of agency is what our fans really want. Yeah. And I think we've learned a lot about telling good stories and, you know, good performances and good writing by making the first two long shots. But, um, yeah, I think this is a good future for us. And and Madden 20 is doing really well. So I'm sure you guys are stoked about that. I just, uh, I just played, I started my franchise a couple days ago. So, uh, I'm off. I took the owner mode, but I'm still playing every game. So it's, uh, yeah, it feels weird. I'm a, I'm a hands-on owner, apparently. <laughs> um, tell me from a development side, uh, the world you live in, wh- how challenging is it to make sports games versus what you see what other people get to do, which is like Death Stranding is going to come out when Death Stranding is ready to come out. Um, you got an annualized calendar that you have to deliver to every year. How, how tough is that? Um, it's really tough. Uh, the team, you're never not making the game. So often you're making the next year's game before you're done shipping or you're, you know, the team's always just in, um, they really want to push. We want to do as much as we can. And there's often these disappointments of this doesn't fit this year. 
And so the challenge is really how do you start something that's really big and potentially changes the game in such a significant way? And sometimes you have to really do that with a three-year kind of mindset and you chip away at it. Um, but what's been cool the last couple of years is the shift to more of a live service. So it used to hurt as a creative when you knew you couldn't ship everything you wanted and you had to make some painful cut because now you're waiting a whole year to get it. On the physical disc. Yeah. yeah. And so we've released features um, even for franchise this year, throughout this year. So mm-hmm. some things that we were very disappointed that we didn't get in in time we're still delivering new stuff and so i think it's going to change the way we think and work and um i think you know mostly this time of years where all the creatives are super depressed at a video game company because you're scoping and figuring out what you can actually do and yeah. that's never fun and that on the creative side how many, just always bombed. <laughs> how many teams are like so? If I go back pre-ship, if I go back to June of this year, right? Like you just come home from E three. How many people are finishing twenty? How many people are working on twenty one? And then who's working on next gen? Like there's got you have to have th- like from my history, you got to have three teams, right? Probably running at the same time. Yeah, yeah. They're not all. Like full teams, right? So sure. You're shifting. Yeah, um, and when this ships, these guys are sliding. Yeah. I think around E3, EA Play, 80% of the team's still thinking about the current year. Okay. Um, and then you get a goal, and you turn gold, and then you start moving people over to 21, or? Well, some people stay on 20. Okay. Because the, the live service, service okay. and, you know, we're always trying to get feedback from the audience, and... You know, this year with like the X Factors, um, it's even more. We're designing new abilities throughout the year. And um, so we think of it as a game that we want to keep people engaged in. So they need new stuff. And it's uh, that's that's made it even more challenging, if you can imagine, because you have one team that's sort of keeping the lights on all the time. Mm -hmm. And then you're trying to shift to making the new game. Mm -hmm. So. And then you got to think next gen and all the whatever the platforms are that are coming that have you know quietly been announced, but you just know what's coming. So it's it's always tough. We used to have to do that. I remember the Xbox 360, the Xbox One, then we had a PSP launch, and then you got to figure out PC, and it's just you know all built off different things, which makes it tougher. Um, when you uh, this is a Jorge special question. He wants to know what's the difference between designers and producers. Is there a difference in sports? Because obviously there's, you know, when you talk about a non-annualized game, there's a difference. But for you guys, what do the producers do and, and, and what do the designers do? Yeah, it's not the same at every company. It's not even the same at EA Canada and EA Tiburon. But I think in general, uh, most game companies do it like this. Designers are responsible for the game designs, you know, documentation, flow charts, thinking, you know, scripts. Um, uh, some are more technical and they're actually hooking up like flows for cameras or presentation or logic. And um, Whereas producers, it's really about building teams, uh, managing budget, um, business goals, marrying kind of marketing needs with the creative. Um, that's when it's probably most well-defined at Tiburon, but um, there are people that sort of 
blend both, like producers that are way more into creative and will do some, you know, hands-on design and hands-on creative. And there's some designers that are really amazing producers. Like they're great at the initial design phase, but they'll end up shepherding that feature all the way through and talking to the engineers and coordinating things and play testing their features. And that's where I think there is sometimes a uh, gray, fuzzy, yeah, fuzzy line. What take me through the process just so people know it. I mean, we've been through it, but like, what's the process of design? How does it work when you're building a feature out? Like, you've got goals, you've got features, you got to work with engineers. What's if you know, if you start working on 21 right now and you've got an idea for a feature, how does that how do you take that through to the end? That's a good one. Um, I mean, it usually starts with high level kickoffs of what we're trying to accomplish what were maybe the knocks against this year's games what are the things that we're trying to finish that might have been part of a multi-year vision but once you get the kind of high level ideas you're pitching it to the designers themselves and probably assigning it to a specific designer in that space or the guy or girl that's the most you know did this type of feature before or this one's heavier on story elements and Mm -hmm. they're more of a story person uh, and then you're just looking at, uh, you know, we have design templates. So you're just really going through a checklist of did you think through all the conditions? Um, what's it look like? What's it sound like? Uh, what are the controls? Um, and then you might go to something like concept or you might do prototypes. Um, there was a feature we were bouncing around the other day. Um, and we made a, a little card game to prototype what this kind of interaction would be like if it was like I say a GM and a coach interacting um, and that told us a lot about would it be fun would it worth be worth developing um, a lot of times we'll do these now click throughs so you can build interface that looks really good test a feature put it in front of an audience even and they have a controller and they click through the menus and um, you can learn a lot by doing that so I think design when it looks bad in gaming is it's a lot of work done on paper and it takes all year to actually get implemented and then you play it for the first time so Mm -hmm. i think what we've been getting better at in this one year is how do you get stuff playable right away even if it's super crude and then you can get feedback you can do targeted play testing you can be your team can be playing it and then you could iterate on it um yeah i remember that on out like we did that on the vision cone team i remember just matt frederick coming in like the day before alpha and he's just like i don't have a way to make this fun <laughs> like you know what i mean like yeah. the concept is great we've got to solve for vic can just run on it like there's all those challenges and this conceptually seems great but like fuck we're at alpha and i don't think this is fun so can you can you make the lb button <laughs> automatically jump to the receiver like there's some there's some solutions that you have to solve but yeah i think that makes a ton of sense is to get get to playable as fast as you can yeah, and there's a lot of different ways to do that I, on the first long shot we had a um, story artist draw every single frame and we animated basically like a cartoon put it in the game as playable so the brand we could test the branching dialogue the timers the wording of them to see if you know mm-hmm. we got feedback that um, all language should be sixth grade reading level you know if we had mm-hmm. like two yeah. words that you had to choose between so like because it got played earlier, we found out so much. Yeah. Um, 
Whereas if it's too I, complicated. Yeah. I think when I was coming up in the industry, a lot of, of what we did was it's all on paper. And then you're like, Oh, doesn't work. Well, there's one week left. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, when you guys get through all that stuff, what's the relationship with marketing? How do you, um, how do you take the features to marketing and how are you working with those guys now? I mean, obviously I know the history of that stuff, but what's, uh, yeah. what's it like now? I feel like it works now that up front as the creatives getting cre- like thought through and approved and pitched, you're it's with the marketing. The marketing sitting with like I'm sure your schedule when you're looking at design, you're backing everything out from E three to EA play or play access or whatever you call it. Yeah. But then you've got, you know, I've got a rigatella it used to be a rigatello, which has now changed to um all the senior execs need to get vision and stuff on that. Is marketing's in those meetings and they're seeing they're walking through features like like we used to. Yeah, we used to pitch almost the team pitches something and then marketing would pitch like their wrapper for it, but they weren't necessarily developed together. It was like I guess we'll try to figure out how to message this thing that they told us they're making. And I think now there's more of an upfront partnership. So you'll um you know, in integrating parts of the organization like playtesting up front. So having next year's ideas tested six months before and actually being able to do something about the research and the feedback, um, I think the coordination's what's become more scientific and um, less two different departments trying to have the same goal but sort of doing their own thing. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. When you're, desi- when you're designing... Are you thinking about the ha- hardcore, or are you thinking about the mainstream? Like, how do you, as you as you take the design ideas, I think Longshot's probably a good example, but even other, you know, even franchise motor, owner motor, online player, wh- who are you trying to satisfy first, the broader audience or your, your annualized core players? That's a great question. Um, I think certain features have been targeted at different audiences. For instance, Longshot, there was a belief that there's a lot of people at a console. They love the NFL, um, but they'd prefer story games and more. And they could be drawn into Madden because of story. And it was designed a little bit like a tutorial. Like it could help people who wanted to be part of the Madden world but were a little intimidated or the game had passed them by or the con- controls got too complicated. Longshot was a great way to ease you in and slowly open up. So you couldn't even call plays in the story because Devin Wade hadn't played in that offense. But as you went through the story, you started to get more and more control, and we kind of weaned you into being, oh, I actually know how to play Madden, and I, I kind of know how to call plays now. And it's kind of where Aaron is with the Packers right now. He's not ready to call his own plays yet. But yeah. New coach. We'll get you there eventually. Um, so with, um, I'd say it's, it's feature-based. You know, franchise is really about a core audience that has very specific requirements and they want authenticity um but we do want to um when we do any work in a feature you want to come up with something that isn't just being asked for but you're sort of shooting to where the industry will be when you ship that game or innovate in a way um not just kind of go through the wish list of you guys don't have this feature yet you don't have this feature yet you don't have um, or this thing from Madden 08 you haven't put back in yet. Yeah. We, we do a lot of that, but... You can put back the vision cone, is that what you just said? Yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I think, you know, 
it's I think the core and the casuals there's um they they have a lot of the same desires too they love the nfl they love the players and they they love the pageantry around the game so that i think even when you just make an authentic simulation and you pay off the immersion i think when you do the immersion you sort of speak to both yeah um I I always felt like the blocking needs to be right for your core guys. Um, And you're like, fucking long shots, and I don't know what that is. And then you jump into it, it's like, oh, that's not terrible. It's all right, but I want to go back to. Like, that's what the hardcore always felt like to me is to make sure the block. Because, like, hey, every time I try to run to the left, because I run to the left 85% of the time, like, this block doesn't get caught. Or, you know what I mean? Like, they're. They've got such a different eye than than the casual. Like I'm super casual now. Like I'm not sure when I worked on it, I was the hardcore, and now I'm casual because I just don't play it enough to to be able to understand the nuances of what's happening in the in the yep. you know the blocking. So I always was curious on the design. Um, outside of long shot, put that stuff aside. What's your favorite feature you've worked on or put in the game? Hmm. Um, I would think. Uh, this year, the Superstar X Factors. Um, we go if you go back to the Michael Vick era, um, he was fun, and he was um, so dynamic and so fun and so powerful and so special. He broke the game, like you said. Well, last year we were looking at the NFL. People like Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Donald break the NFL. They're game breakers, um, and they're must see TV. And so we wanted to capture the excitement of those players, and the goal was to have 50 Michael Vicks. Mm. 50 people would break the game that you have to account for. So now strategy's more interesting. Every game's different because of the people on the field. Um, and we started to replicate things you couldn't do ever before in my career. Like Tom Brady is the best of all time, but he's never been a great Madden character because he not fast yeah um and so you see the superstar abilities really start to capture the essence of the player and now tom brady has uh, one of his abilities is identify open receiver first open receiver and that kind of replicates tom brady's real magic which is reading a defense in two seconds and getting the ball out Mm -hmm. i previously that was on you so if you're not good at madden or you can't read the defenses that fast tom brady's not that good in Madden, but now he's gotcha. a very valuable, you know. RP, you're RPG kind of RPGing the game. Like if you're building on a character, like what classes yeah. and, and different kind of. But what felt great is there was some skepticism when people heard of the feature, like, oh, they're going to make Madden super arcade and just about fun and, you know. Um, Fuck fun. Yeah, but <laughs> what people found was it actually made it more authentic because these players went beyond the ratings and now even modes like franchise mode every game felt different every strategy week to week was different because you had to account for the gronks not him anymore but that's that's that was the goal is um make more emergent strategies through these game breaking talents and you have to account for them so if i play against Mahomes, he's throwing across his body and um, Aaron Rodgers has perfect accuracy on the run, and so he feels different. He feels like Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, no, yeah. that's great. 
Patrick Mahomes just announced a 99 today. Oh, yeah. Second player on offense is a 99. Uh, is Donnie Moore still working on that stuff? Uh, Donnie's still at the company, but he's in the uh, uh, he competitive moved, gaming. Uh, moved up. Yeah. Competitive gaming. I saw somebody else giving Patrick the award today, and I'm like, where's where's my guy? <laughs> like that, that feels like a Donnie moment. There was no Donnie there today. By the way, he didn't get red. He didn't get the gold spikes. He got like a trophy. What? How, how come he wasn't getting gold spikes? Like I like the, the gold spikes you guys moved to. Those shoes are awesome, right? Yeah. Like if you need help making those, I can make those for you. Like let's get these guys. Like that's a that should be a thing. You guys should really blow that out. Like I love that. Yeah, I, I hope for Give Patrick's you- sake, there there's shoes on the way. I would hope so. Maybe they weren't ready. If you need someone to make them on time, I can help you. Maybe they couldn't predict that he would be a 99 who would three have, weeks into the season. The, who, who would have predicted? Who would have ever thought your cover guy would be a 99? Not me. Uh, shocking. Uh, what are you playing right now? Are you playing anything? I got into NHL. It came out like last week. Um, it is a game I bought every year. Since Sega Genesis, the St. Louis Blues are now the champions, and so you, is that why you're jumping into it so quickly? Yeah, um, it's so good this year. <laughs> well, first of all, the first thing you do is play Game Seven of last year's Stanley Cup. Yeah, and uh, I jumped out to a five nothing lead, and then I was sort of bored because I think I set it to too lame of a difficulty. And suddenly, the team Boston came back and scored five goals in the third period. Ugh. And. The first three, I was like, I just kind of want to get the game over with yeah. so I could play the rest of the game. And then when they scored the fourth, I was like, oh, I got to try. This is crazy. I'm going to jinx the Blues. Um, but uh, it's a great game. The world wait, 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 wait. What was the result? Oh, I lost. <laughs> it was ridiculous. They must have some kind of rubber band goalie meltdown thing because Bennington would make one save and then, like, lunge 10 feet out of the net for the rebound every time. Uh, I had a similar problem last night. I was playing the Seahawks, um, and I had, like, there was, like, 20 seconds on the clock, and there's 21 seconds on the game clock, and I was on my own one-yard line. Uh, and I went for just, you know, just trying to wear the clock down. I thought it would wear it out, and I hiked it three seconds instead of two seconds. So the Bengals got the ball back on the one, and they scored the touchdown and got the two-point conversion. And so then they kicked a field goal in the first period. I was only playing offense on franchise mode. And so all of a sudden I get the ball back, and I'm like, I'm down three in overtime. I'm like, what just happened? So I had to – Russell ran a lot, so I won the game. So I, uh, I had a better result than, yeah. than the Blues did. So, But uh, I got into World of Chell. Um, do you know what that is? Mm-mm. It's cool. It's like pond hockey with NHL players, and you create yourself. Oh, it's, like a mo- it's a mode in there? Yeah. Okay. And uh, you create yourself, and I, cool. I still play hockey. And so I still have the fantasy that I could make the NHL. Yeah, you know? I see you, you know? the, <laughs> cross the street putting on the skates across at the, uh, oh, what is that? The, the RDV? Yeah, the RDV. Yeah. But, um, no, it's awesome. You, like try to make yourself and you're out there and you're playing other humans and pond hockey three on three it's cool that's loving it that's awesome thank you for coming out and doing this this is fun yeah we got a lot of stuff coming so we're gonna do some fun stuff next year together so i'm looking forward to it me too thank you